Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm a Torah teacher at Congregation Kehilat Tunaba in Thornton, Colorado. You're listening to Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. Let's open with prayer. Avinu Malkinu, our Father, our King, Lord, we bless you tonight. We say thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming and filling us to capacity with the fullness and the knowledge and the light of Yeshua, our Messiah. We thank you, Lord, that you have caused us to be counted righteous in your sight. We know that it is not by our own strength. It's not uh, because of works that we have done. It's not because of our um, affiliation with a religious group. It's not because of our uh, belonging to a religious family or being raised as uh, religious children, etc. Lord, we know it is by your intense love for us that you have... Uh, rescued us from the clutches of darkness. You've brought us into your kingdom. You've declared us as sons and daughters of the living King. And so we thank you. We acknowledge that you are our Lord and that we will serve no other. Lord, we ask that you will continue to strengthen us during these last and evil days, that you'll give us a heart to seek after righteousness and that you'll give us a holy boldness as we proclaim your truths to those around us, as we share the gospel uh, with um, the people that we meet. Um, Lord, we pray that you'll continue to uh, empower us to uh, press on towards holiness, that you'll, that you'll uh, um, continue to challenge us to press into your words, to uh, hide your words in our heart, to to uplift the name of Yeshua the Messiah, to not be ashamed uh, that he is our Lord and that we name the name of Jesus as the true King. Thank you, Lord, that uh, we have this time to study together. Uh, I bless each and every student who will um, uh, study with me tonight live via Skype. But Lord, I also bless those who join us each week. Uh, they can't make it live, but they are um, signed into the studies, and I'm so thankful that they are able to um, be with me each week. I pray that you will bless them and strengthen them. Father, I also pray that you will heal us. Uh, we say, uh, So blessed are you, Lord our God, who heals all flesh and acts wondrously. We know that you are the God who heals. And so we look to you, Lord. We thank you uh, and praise you for uh, uh, raising us up and healing us. Um, bless us tonight, Lord, as we embark on a study of Galatians. Open our eyes to know truth. Open our ears to hear your voice. And give us a mind to retain the things that you're teaching us. And we'll be careful, Lord, to give you the praise and the preeminence all things. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for joining me again tonight, week by week. I'm so thankful that you're able to, to uh, um, be with me week after week. I just want to uh, send a personal thank out, thank you out to those who join me live uh, via Skype each week. I know schedules don't always line up, but for those who are able to join me uh, even across the miles, it's such a blessing uh, to have you all to pray for me and to support me in various ways. Uh, I pray that the Lord's blessing will be upon you mightily. Let's date stamp our recording. It is November the 5th, 2016, and this is week 44. We're just uh, chugging along through my Galatians commentary. Um, you can reach me online at www.tetzetorah.com. That's T-E-T-Z-E-T-O-R-A-H.com. Tetzetorah stands 
for the Torah shall go forth. That passage from uh, Isaiah 2, 3, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah, for out of Zion the Torah will go forth and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Thank you for um, uh, joining me each week. Tonight we're going to pick up where we left off uh, in the um, chapter about uh, chapter 10 entitled um, uh, the chapter entitled Trust and Obey. And so if you're joining me by way of Skype tonight, uh, just make sure you've got your microphone muted. We will allow a question and answer period about an hour after the study. In other words, after the hour-long study. I encourage all the students to unmute their microphones at that time and we'll be able to uh, uh, join in a, uh, a kind of a live Q&A with the teacher. Uh, just um, uh, you know, encouraging one another, uh, lifting one another up. Uh, asking questions, providing comments, and things like that. So if you can make it live each week, that would be great. Join us for the uh, exclusive uh, QA session, about 15 minutes or so after each study. For those of you who are with me in the live class tonight, uh, hopefully you can see my screen if Skype is working the way it should. And what I've got is uh, a blessing for the uh, Birkat Torah. This will act as our generic liturgy for our Hebrew section, and then I'll read something out of the... Uh, New Testament as well, the Apostolic Scriptures. Um, so let's go ahead and entertain the liturgy first. Let me read the English and then I'll read the Hebrew. This is just a short uh, first three paragraphs out of the, uh, really it's out of the uh, the Shacharit uh, Siddur, uh, morning prayers, blessing for the Torah. The English reads, Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Lord, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouths of all your people, Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, may we all together know your name and study your Torah for the sake of fulfilling your desire. Blessed are you, Lord, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who chose us from the nations and gave us the Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. May the Lord bless you and keep watch over you. May the Lord make his presence enlighten you, and may he be kind to you. May the Lord bestow favor on you and grant you peace. And let's go ahead and read the Hebrew of that as well. Again, for those of you who are with me in the uh, live study, you should be able to see this on the screen now. I just pulled this from HebrewForChristians.com. The Hebrew reads, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kidshanu b'mitzotayv. Vitzivano Lasuk Bedivre Torah, Vaharev Na Adonai Elohenu et Divre Torah Taha, Befinu, Ufiot Amcha Beit Yisrael, Venihe Anachunu Vatsetze Enu Vatsetze Amcha Beit Yisrael, Kulano Yode Shmecha, Velom de Tortaka Lishma, Baruchata Adonai Ham Lamed Torah Lamo Yisrael. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Bachar Banu Mekol HaAmin Benatan Lanu Et Torah To Baruch Adonai Notein Ha Torah Ivelech Adonai VeYishmerecha Yero Adonai Panai Velecha VeChunecha Yisa Adonai Panai Velecha VeYesim Lecha Shalom And now let's turn to uh, the the passage I've been using for this particular section that we're in for the Galatians commentary Galatians chapter three. And it's a lengthier quote due to the subject matter because of Paul's discussion on faith, faithfulness, and using the uh, central uh, figure of faith that we're focusing on, which is Abraham. So we're going to read Galatians 3, and we'll read all the way down to, let's see, where do we read? Down to about verse 16. Does that look like about right? Um... Yeah, I think it was around 16. Uh, let's take a look. Give me a moment here. Let's jump over to the ESV, and I'll be able to tell you, since it's got a different breakdown for me. Um, yeah, let's go down to actually verse 14. So Galatians 3, 1 through 14. Uh, really, we could read the whole chapter, but uh, I don't want to make the liturgy too long. So... Um, let's read Galatians 3 out of the ESV, starting in verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that 
Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Paul says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then... Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Let's keep reading, starting verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Wow, this is such a great passage. I I, I know you're just waiting for me to exegete the passage. Those of you who are following along in the commentary, we're, we're not even really yet to the Galatians notes yet, but we're working our way to them. We're almost there. Let me just check in Skype real quick, make sure that everyone's there. Yeah, it looks good. Okay. All right, let's uh, read that same, those same 14 verses. Let me pull up, uh, let's pull up the interlinear chapters. This is, this for those of you who are on the screen right now, I'm in BibleHub.com, so this turns us into the, um, oh, what do we have? Some English going on. We've got some transliteration going on. We've got the Greek there, which is, I believe, the 1904 uh, Nestle Greek. And then, because uh, it includes the, uh, um, the uh, uh, what do we call them, the uh, alternate uh, readings. Um, the alternate, uh, in brackets, will show the, the alternate renderings, the... Uh, the other uh, uh, translations. And then we've got an English translation that's kind of woodenly rendered, and then uh, all of the uh, parsings and stuff below. Let me read this for you. Uh, Starting in verse 1, O anai toi galatai, tis humas abaskanen te aletheia me pethis thai hois kat afalmus, Jesus Christos proegrafe est aromenas. Verse 2, Tu ta manan thelo mathen af human ex ergonamu to penuma alat Alabete e ex aquis bistios. Verse 3. Hutas anoi toi, hutos, I'm sorry, anoi toi este inaxamenoi, punumati nun sarki et epiteleste. Verse 4. The sauta epatete eke e gekai eke. Verse 5. Ha un epicoragon, human to punuma kai in ergon dunames, and human ex ergonamu, e ex Gois bistios? Verse 6. Katas Abraham epistusen to theu kai elogiste auto eis decausunen. Verse 7. Gnas gnoskite arahati hoi ek bistios hut hoi huioi eisen Abraham. Verse 8. Proidusa de he grafe hati ek bistios de kaioi ta ethne hotheus. Pro you in Gelesato, to Abraham hati in Yula gate thesentai. And let's keep reading. In soi panta ta este hastai, hastai voice, uh, verse 9. Haste hoi ek pistios yulo guntai, sun to pisto Abraham. Now let's jump down to verse 10, where we got this different uh, paragraph setting. Uh, verse 10 reads, Hasoi uh, gar ex ergonamu, eisen Hupo kataran eisen graptai gar hati epikataratas pas has uk emenai pasen tois gegramenois into biblo tu namu tu pues ayauta verse 11 hati de enamu udes dekai un dekai utai para to theu 
Delan Hatihu de Kayas Epistio Zesitai. Verse twelve Ho de Namas Uk ek Estin Epistios Alho Poesis Alta Zesita in Autois Verse thirteen Christas Himas in a gor in ex I'm sorry exagorsin ectes kataras tu namu gen mamenas hupo heman katara happy gagraptai epicataratas pasha cremamenas epi zulu and the final verse verse fourteen so that we read that the blessing to the Gentiles uh, uh, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles kind of this um, uh, uh, what do we say this um, finale of this section uh, where Paul is explaining to us that Abraham is the model of faith and that it's his faith that was demonstrated through his faithfulness, yet uh, faith that was solidly rooted in the finished, in, I should say, in the uh, coming word of the Lord. So Paul says, Hina is ta'ethne hei to Abraham genaitai. So that to the Gentiles, to the ethne, the people groups, this blessing hei to Abraham, the blessing of Abraham uh, might come genetai in Jesu Christo, in Christ Jesus, hinatain epangelion, to penumentas labomen, that the promise of the Spirit to penumentas, we might receive labomen diatespistios. And how? Those last three words in Greek, diatespistios, by faith, or literally dia through faith, um, Got the article there through taste pistios through the faith, as Greek likes to play with. So we see then that Abraham was made faithful, that Abraham was made a child of God the same way that we are made children today. It's not different. There's no different gospel in the uh, Old Testament than there was in the New Testament. And the expectation of leading a godly life, that is, faith that leads to faithfulness, is the same as well. And we're, we're discussing this now, so let's turn to our study in the Galatians notes. Uh, we left off um, near the top of page 85. We just read this quote right in the middle, basically. Quote, faith and good works go hand in hand. One without the other is incomplete and lacking of true biblical righteousness. And just to get a running start, let me explain briefly. Give me 30 seconds and I'll start with the study. Uh, the reason we're having this discussion about faith and faithfulness is because of the popular notion in Christian circles these days that now that one comes to faith in Jesus, faithfulness to Torah commands or uh, obedience to the law of Moses is no longer necessary in the life of a Christian. And that couldn't be more um, mistaken. God is, of course, interested in the faithfulness. And that's why we're having this discussion. We see that faithfulness, as James explains to us, as he's going to explain to us even more carefully, faithfulness vindicates genuine faith. We could say it this way. A true living tree should, in fact, always have true fruit. Fruit is an indication that the tree is alive, that it's vibrant, that it's receiving nourishment from the sky, from the sun, from the uh, water below in the ground, from the soil itself. So if we look at a tree and we don't see fruit, then something's wrong with that tree. At least, perhaps maybe it's not in season or at least it's not uh, alive. So uh, if you don't have fruit in your life, well then ask the Spirit of God to help you understand why you, you're not bearing fruit. I can tell you now that we're supposed to. We're supposed to. And that was our quote from Romans uh, 8, uh, 9 through 10. So let's keep reading in the commentary uh, with this quote from Tim Haig's study out of the uh, his Galatians study, which is available at TorahResource.com. Tim has to say this, We therefore come to understand that for Paul, there was no bifurcation between faith and faithfulness. Right? They're two sides of the same coin. One may speak, therefore, of either with the full assurance that the other exists, end quote. And that's essentially the same thing that I've been trying to explain in a nutshell uh, using this two-sided coin, two coin uh, analogy. Faith and faithfulness are struck to the same side of the coin, or the, struck to the same coin, albeit perhaps on two sides. And as such, both are important to God. So let's keep reading. Moshe goes to great lengths, this is my own uh, notes now, Moshe goes to great lengths to demonstrate that a heart that is devoid of true biblical faith, and I must remind our readers here that there's only one kind of biblical faith, folks, right? There's only one kind of biblical faith. 
but this biblical faith is a heart that will lead the individual down a, a um let me let me start that quote over again and, and take out the, uh, the the parenthesis for a split second. Moshe goes to great lengths to demonstrate that a heart that is devoid of true biblical faith is a heart that will lead the individual down a degenerative path straight into the curses pronounced in the Torah. The heart of doubt, that is, is ultimately headed for destruction, as the curses vividly demonstrate. And we can see this uh, because the Torah demonstrates it, it models it for us uh, in the lives of individuals who uh, did not trust in God and eventually ended up in ruin and destruction, for instance, uh, the Pharaoh. But, that you know, you, you might know individuals today who don't have faith, but you say, well, they're not living destructive lives. Well, they might not be living that way now. But ultimately, ultimately, uh, in the end of days, at the judgment day, uh, when all people meet their maker, we're going to have to um, we're going to have to answer for the heart uh, that lacked faith, and it's then that God's going to mete out the uh, the punishment that's due for those who lack faith. Let's keep reading. The heart of doubt, as I mentioned, is ultimately headed for destruction, as the curses vividly demonstrate. Moshe's heart, if we read that in the Torah, there, which is the heart of the father, of course, is that they would truly circumcise their hearts to follow after Hashem and His ways and to become the people that God truly desires them to be, right? Circumcision of the heart is something that we read about way back even in Genesis. To I'm sorry, uh, way back in the Torah itself, the first five. Torah is God's teaching to men about righteousness. It's God's righteous standard. It's what it is, righteousness, and how it behaves. We don't have to reinvent righteousness. All we have to do is go to the pages of God's word and read about it right there. The true believer, which is of course anyone who's redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, does not do in order to become. That's the point I'm trying to make. Uh, of course, in hindsight, Christianity knows this, but there seems to be this strange um, rejection of doing righteousness once we have become righteousness, even though... Um, most Christians know that one does not do in order to become. That is, you can't do in order to be saved. Uh, you simply cast your faith on Yeshua. And in that itself is not a work that we can manufacture. It's a work that God uh, uh, graciously grants to us. The righteousness of... Um, let me read this next sentence. He does, that is to say the believer does, because he is what God has made him. And what has God made us? What has God made us? He has made us the righteousness of God in Messiah. That's our true identity. We are the righteousness of God in Messiah. Thus, Yaakov, this is James, which um, really it's interesting that the book is called James when it really should be called the book of Jacob. Don't you agree? Because James' Hebrew name is Jacob. It's not James. But uh, So the book of James, or the book of Jacob, I should say, writes, quote, I will show you my faith by my works, James 2.18 we see then that show you my faith by my works is James' way of saying that works vindicate true faith. Works are the fruit that follow after the uh, the true living tree example that I just described earlier. The true Torah is the walk of faith and rest in, I'm sorry, the true Torah is the walk of faith that is faith and rest in the finished work of Messiah. Um, that's a quote from uh, my good friends Ariel and Devorah Berkowitz out of their Torah Rediscovered book that, at the time that I quoted it, was uh, published by FFOZ, but I think uh, Ariel told me that they recently republished it under his own Shorshim Productions. Let's keep reading. Uh, top of page 86 in my own commentary. Blessings and curses that we read about in the Torah, I imagine, might therefore be woodenly labeled the expected consequences of our heart's condition. In other words, God's got this kind of divine cause and effect set up in the Torah. And then if we follow after righteousness and obedience, then good will follow after us. Blessings follow after us. And yet the converse is true. If we follow after unrighteousness, disobedience, and wickedness, well, then the curses will follow after us. They are in store for us. So we've got this, this kind of cause and effect uh, described in the Torah. So... Uh, um, if we harden our hearts and pursue doubt and disobedience, then the Torah teaches us that not only will the blessings be withheld, but that the curses will actually pursue us instead of the blessing. You've got to go back and read Deuteronomy 28, 
45, for example, to see this in effect, where God uh, explains to us through Moshe that that's what's going to happen if we, um, if we follow after disobedience. To be sure, I go on to say, we don't deserve any blessings at all. We really don't. It's all about grace. Yet God in his mercy sees fit to grant blessings, provided we continue in his covenant with a heart that is governed by genuine trust. I like to say it this way. I think this would be a clever bumper sticker, in my opinion. Uh, God does not bless wickedness. It's plain and simple. God doesn't bless wickedness. And this is why I believe God describes and models righteousness for us and obedience for us. In the Torah, he spells out what righteousness looks like. And he gives us examples for us to follow. Moshe, Avraham, David, um, all of the the great men of faith that we read about in the Torah, in the Bible. Uh, these are men who had a heart after God and who placed their faith in God and their faith in Messiah to come and uh, and yet followed after the, the Torah of Moshe. It couldn't be simpler, in my opinion. Let's turn to the prophet Ezekiel. Uh, I think he stated it quite well. We read this in our liturgy a few weeks ago. Quote, this is Ezekiel 36, 26-29. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit inside you. I will take the stony heart out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Let's keep reading. This is God speaking to corporate Israel, speaking of future promises. But these promises, of course, extend and apply to the individual who uh, places his genuine faith in the genuine Messiah that was prophesied to Israel. God says, I will put my spirit inside you and cause you to live by my laws, respect my rulings, and obey them. <clears throat> and the next verse says, you will live in the land I will, that I gave to your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. And then he says, I will save you from all your uncleanliness. I will summon the grain and increase it and not send famine against you. And if you go back and look at that uh, second verse, I think that's verse 27, where God says, I will put my spirit inside you and cause you to live by my laws, respect my rulings, and obey them. I don't see how um, modern Christianity can purport that in Christ the law has been uprooted or lifted or relaxed or done away with or superseded by the law of Christ or something to that effect, fulfilled by Christ so that we don't have to do it. I don't see how that 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 theology that teaches that the law is done away with in Jesus, how that agrees, I don't see how that, 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 how that position can agree with the verse that I just read here in Ezekiel 36. God says, I will put my spirit inside you. And notice the effect of putting the spirit inside the individual or putting the spirit inside of corporate Israel. I will cause you to live by my laws, respect my rulings and obey them. God is not telling Israel that once they become saved, that they need abandon the law, that they need walk away from the Torah. It's actually quite the opposite. Once God cleanses us, like we read about in the first verse, 26, puts a new spirit inside us, takes out the stony heart, and gives us a heart of flesh, once that transformation takes place, the result is that the spirit will take up residence within us and cause us to live by his laws. We see then that what Paul explains in Romans chapter 8, where he says that it's only by the power of the Spirit can a righteous person fulfill the righteous requirement of law. We see then that this is um, uh, being prophesied about in the book of Ezekiel. God's essentially explaining that only by the power of the Spirit can the uh, individual properly walk according to God's ways, the the way that God designed them to be walked out. So let's keep reading, because I think this is going to become self-explanatory as I keep uh, as I keep reading through my commentary. In closing, um, to this section on on Paul and James. In closing, we affirm with perfect faith that genuine and lasting covenant status is granted to the individual who eventually exercises genuine faith in the promised word of Hashem, namely the Messiah, Yeshua. And I, I use that phrase genuine and lasting covenant status because uh, earthly covenant status is granted to Jews who were born into the electoral 
uh, covenant that God made with Israel. Remember, the promise extended to Abraham's physical offspring, that is, uh, the people of Israel, those descendants of Jacob. And yet, that doesn't guarantee that they have what I'm describing as heavenly or genuine lasting covenant status. That kind of covenant status is only reserved for those who graduate to faith in Yeshua. Let's keep reading. Um, the, stat- the, the covenant status that we're describing, this, this lasting covenant status that Jews and Gentiles enjoy through Yeshua, this status is offered freely to both Jew and Gentile. That's the big kicker in Paul's day, right? How can a person become a covenant member? Does he have to become a Jew in order to become a covenant member? Jewish people, I go on to say, with natural lineage, tracing back to Yaakov, are in fact born with a corporate covenant status given freely by God and based on his promises made to Abraham. That's what I just explained. However, this does not automatically grant them the status of right standing in a positional sense. They're not automatically saved. We say it this way in Christian circles, there's no such thing as involuntary corporate righteousness in the Torah of Hashem. Uh, how do we say it? There, God has no grandchildren. For the native-born Jewish person, the, the proper sequence for the covenants, I believe, is demonstrated when such an individual, quote, graduates from mere corporate faith and belonging towards personal faith in God, right? They move from this kind of this generic uh, people group faith to an individual faith in the living God and in his uh, Messiah. And this is what brings them into the, the genuine and lasting people group of God. To be sure, I say it is only when God does his monergistic work of opening the eyes of the blind and drawing the individual into his covenant of faith that the individual, the person, attains genuine and lasting covenant status. And that's the kind of covenant status that's worthy of a place in the Olam Haba, which is a Hebrew phrase that refers to the age to come. So let's keep reading. Now now that we've described essentially genuine faith and genuine salvation, right? Now that we know how that takes place, I ask this next question. What place hath the Torah in the life of such an individual? Really, this is the question for this particular section. Do we then make void the law through faith? Paul would ask that rhetorical question in Romans chapter 3, around verse uh, 29, 30, 31, somewhere around there. Here's my answer. It's modeled after Paul's answer, obviously. The Torah comes alongside of the promise, right? Covenant status. That's why this chapter is called uh, Trust and Obey the Promise. The Torah comes alongside covenant status, that is, genuine covenant status, and acts as a guarantor that the individual will also achieve behavioral righteousness. And what this will do is it places him or her on a direct collision course with the blessings of Hashem. Remember that maxim I just quoted? God does not bless wickedness? Well, this means the, op- the opposite is, is true. God blesses righteousness. God actually blesses behavioral righteousness. God blesses the individual who lives his life in accordance with God's instructions. That's how it works, people. And that's why that's one of the reasons why we have the words of Torah uh, spelled out for us, so that we can have a blueprint, so that we can have a roadmap for us to follow after we come into a genuine knowledge of God and of his Messiah. We don't have to reinvent holiness. We don't have to reinvent sin. The Torah already gives us the definitions that we need. We simply need to avail ourselves of the instructions of God, and we do it not under our own power, but by the power of the Ruach HaKodesh. Amen? That's a good place to say amen. So I go on to say, um, far from frustrating the grace of God, right? Torah actually complements the grace of God. Why? Because faith and faithfulness, that is obedience, they go hand in hand. You, you can Google search this phrase, the law versus faith. Right, law versus faith, and you're you're going the 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 the, uh, the discussions that you're going to find if you Google search that term, they're legion, right? They're they're man they're many 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 manifold manifold discussions of of how does Torah how does obedience fit in with faith? How does the law fit in with in the life of a believer? And this is such an unfortunate legacy that we've inherited as Christians for the last two thousand years or so. There's there's never been a a, a um, there shouldn't have been 
a a a, 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 a what do we call it um a contest between uh, law versus grace that's why i don't think they frustrate one another let's keep reading in my commentary top of page 87 within the scope of the blessings and promises of god i firmly believe that paul repudiated the offensive notion uh, of a segregated perspective of covenant membership where Jews keep one set of laws and Gentiles keep another set, i.e. the Torah was for Jews or was or is for Jews only. Uh, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to start uh, turning my attention in my commentary to this idea that the law is for Jews only, the Torah is for Jews only, the Torah was for Jews only. Essentially, um, there are two primary um, arguments that you're going to find within messianic circles these days. Uh, one of those arguments I've already been discussing, and that's the idea that the law is done away with in Christ. And there's a, a healthy amount of resources out there that you can avail yourself of as a Jew or Gentile and Messiah <clears throat> when um, uh, um, researching this particular topic. Is the law done away with in Messiah? Uh, do we not have to keep the law anymore now that we're faith? Uh, now that we come to faith in Jesus, that's one discussion. But I'm here to tell you, there's this whole other discussion that's vogue these days. This 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 entire um, uh, uh, preoccupation with the idea that the Torah was historically given to Jews only, and therefore only Jews in Messiah are obligated to keep the Torah. It's, it's a whole other discussion. And so let's turn to that now in my commentary. We're going to get a lot of mileage out of this particular um, discussion. It's a Torah for Jews only. So I, I mentioned um, in my commentary that Paul advocated what I call one law, um, Torah Tachat, Torah Echat, uh, one law for both Jews and Gentiles in the body of Messiah. I firmly believe that Paul would have, um, as I mentioned, repudiated this idea that there's two separate ways of righteousness, of behavior righteousness. Um, to be sure, speaking, of, uh, speaking to both Jews and Gentile believers, we know, right, we know with a firm conviction that Paul taught on the unity of the body in this well-known passage from the book of Ephesians. Let's pull a quote here before I go into this section on one law. Quote, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. And then we've got these uh, familiar um, words, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's Ephesians 4, 4 and 5 as rendered out of the ESV. So we see here, Paul's got this idea of one, one, one. We've got this unification. We like to say it unification, uh, 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 what do we say, um, um, diversity within unity. We are unified and we've got diversity. We're not all Jews and we're not all Gentiles. I understand that, obviously. Obviously, we have this, this diversity. But what does that mean for the Torah, which is one? Let's read. All right, we're on about the middle of page 87, and what we're going to read now is essentially a um, uh, my, my short... Uh, treatise on this concept called One Law. So listen up. This next section is entitled One Law or One Torah. Within these wonderful foundational truths on biblical unity between Jews and Gentiles in Christ, and before turning to a limited verse-by-verse -verse selection of tough passages from the book of Galatians that we're going to read about in my commentary, I'd like to conclude these ten sectional portions to my Galatians commentary with a word about one law. As recently as two years ago, I conducted a short web interview with Caleb Haig. He's the son of well-known Messianic Bible teacher Tim Haig, and uh, it was on the concept known as one law, or one Torah, as many Messianics choose to call it. The interview itself can be viewed on Caleb's One Torah Revolution website at this link, and if you've got my uh, commentary pulled up, there's a link there to OneTorahRevolution.com, and you can click on the video section from his website, and you can view a a, 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 um, a, a short video of me that I conducted with Caleb. Perhaps maybe uh, just before the end of my commentary tonight, I'll click on that link and uh, let everyone hear just that short intro part. I think it's only about a minute or two long. But um, what I did is I wrote up a, a short uh, transcript of the video of my entire uh, interview with Caleb, 
and uh, hear some of what I had to say. This is a transcript of my interview that I conducted with Kayla Caleb Hegg via Skype uh, way back, wow, look at that, it's um, about two years ago in September 2014. So Caleb asked me the questions, and I answered them this way. The first question was, what is your definition of one Torah theology? And here's how I had to answer. Uh, Exodus 12:49 in Hebrew, I, I quote uh, the Hebrew first, uh, we read, Torah achat yiye le'ezrach and the translation of that from the KJV is, One law shall be to him that is homeborn, that's the word Ezrach, the homeborn, and unto the stranger, that's the word Ger, or Ger in Hebrew, and one law shall be unto both of these people that sojourn, right? We've got the homeborn and the stranger that sojourn among you. This is Moshe explaining this. Um, uh, to the children of Israel. He's actually explaining it um, to uh, uh, Israel, who's now going to be acquiring the Torah in Exodus chapter 20, right? The Ten Commandments are going to be given, etc. So here's what I go on to say. One Torah theology likely borrows its name itself, one Torah, one law, from this verse or one of the other two passages found in the Torah proper where native-born sons of Yaakov and sojourners were being addressed together in covenant responsibility. You can see Exodus 12, 49, as well as Numbers 15, 16 through 29. In fact, what's really interesting about this particular pasuk, this verse in uh, Exodus, where uh, Moshe says that one law shall apply to both you and the homeborn, is this particular passage was the um, it's the, the narrative about the... Um, the uh, Passover lamb that was being sacrificed. This is during the 10th plague where the people are going to be going out of Egypt. So it's really given within the context of they're not even at Sinai yet. They haven't even really received the Torah proper. So God is giving these instructions to Moshe to explain that the the um, the Passover lamb, these instructions about uh, roasting it and eating it and... Um, not leaving anything until morning and wearing your sandals and your belt and getting ready to go and all those instructions about the Passover. These these are really the instructions, the law that's to him that is homeborn and to the stranger that's going to sojourn. I find this interesting because um, the Passover really is the entry point into the, um, at, at least at this point in, in the time in the narrative with uh, uh, with um, in the book of Exodus, it's it's given even before the instructions to be circumcised. It's it's kind of the uh, paradigm to become saved, is to to uh, enjoy uh, eating the flesh of the lamb, and we know that kind of points forward to um, um, accepting Yeshua, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right? If you if you accept the lamb, if you receive the lamb, if you place your faith in the blood of the lamb, then that brings you into the covenant with God and with His people. And then you become, um, say, covenant-bound to keep the Torah. So I find that interesting that, that, that this particular verse lands where it does. Let's keep reading. Practically speaking, I go on to say, one Torah really believes that Hashem historically gave one covenant document to follow as a way of life for anyone wishing to identify as covenant Israel. Naturally, this would also include the faithful remnant of Israel, of course, whom we believe to be Jews as well as those from the nations who have been grafted into remnant Israel, right? So we got national Israel, which is kind of a larger body, kind of what we might describe as the macro, right? Remnant, uh, 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 national Israel or, or uh, uh, natural Israel. And then couched within national Israel, we have remnant Israel, which is a smaller group, right? The micro. So we've got macro to micro. And remnant Israel is where Jews and Gentiles in Messiah find their place in the covenant. Of course, we know that it's remnant Israel who have circumcised hearts. We know it's remnant Israel who have received the Spirit of God that uh, Ezekiel promised, uh, that we read about earlier in Ezekiel chapter 36. So I go on to say, instead of purporting that the New Testament is for Gentile Christians, and that the Torah was or is for Jews only, right? You've heard that nonsense being spread in Messianic circles today. One law actually commits both Jews and Gentiles in Messiah Yeshua 
as children of faithful Avraham, right? We've been reading about Abraham in Genesis, I'm sorry, in uh, Galatians chapter 3 in our liturgy, right? One law commits us to follow after the Torah of Moshe, both Jews and Gentiles, while retaining our distinctive ethnicities as Jews and Gentiles together in the body of Messiah. That's a lengthy quote, but I, I really want it to stick in. I want it to, to sink in, and, and I want you to chew on it for a little bit. We're going to read more about this in... Um, uh, on my, uh, we're going to read more about commitment, I should say, in my answer to the question about divine invitation below. All right, let's read the next question that uh, 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 Caleb soft pitched to me that day. Uh, this question is: Within one Torah theology, is there a distinction between Jew and Gentile in the body of Messiah? All right, that was uh, Caleb's question. Here's my answer: Yes, we are distinct. Jews are Jews, and Gentiles are Gentiles. Right, quite quite simple answer. Using an analogy of a marriage between a man and a woman, Jews and Gentiles in Yeshua are complementary covenant pairs designed by God to showcase his faithfulness when we walk together in love and unity under the banner of Yeshua. We know for sure that the Apostle Paul recognized these distinctions because when addressing the body of Messiah in his letters, he repeatedly refers to Jews and Greeks or Jews and Gentiles. And we're going to read more about this particular concept on, uh, you know, more about identity in my answer to the question about divine invitation below as well. So I'm kind of building up, kind of building up to a crescendo in, uh, when, I, when he asks me about um, divine invitation. All right, let's, we've got a little bit of time. Let's keep reading the next question that Caleb asks me that night. Um, what do you say to people who claim one Torah theology is replacement theology, Right. I don't know if you've heard this one before or not, but some some who oppose the idea of one Torah theology uh, think that if we teach that Jews and Gentiles both keep the same Torah, then essentially we're robbing Jewish Israel of her Jewish identity. We're robbing the people of Israel of their um, uh, elect place as the people of God. We're essentially teaching some type of replacement theology that Gentiles in Christ have replaced the Jews in in, in, in God uh, as the genuine people of God. Alright, so here's my answer. Replacement theology has its roots in the mistaken notion that since the coming of Jesus, the church has replaced Israel as the chosen covenant people of God. The Jews are out and the Christian church is in. That's essentially uh, how I understand it. It sounds pretty cut and dry. However, I believe that this is error, and I think it's serious error. And Christians who um, espouse to this type of theology, whether they know it or not, whether they know it or not, I think are doing a great disservice to the body of Messiah, both Jews and Gentiles. So listen up. The Bible teaches no such thing, right, that, that the Jews are out and the Christian church is in. I know that people are going to quote verses like Yeshua's, a statement where he laments over Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks, but instead your house is left to you desolate. Uh, you'll not see me again until you cry out, Brucha Baba Shem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right? We know Yeshua is lamenting over unsaved Israel not accepting her Messiah at the time of the visitation. So we know that that's true, and we know that he, he pronounces this kind of an, a, anathema over um, the house of Israel uh, by saying that your house is left to you desolate. But I don't think that Yeshua is teaching that the church is replacing Israel at this point. I don't think that's the, a proper interpretation of, of that particular passage. Let me just keep reading. Um, the, I don't think the Bible teaches that the church has replaced Israel, as if they're two different things. In other words, the Christian church has replaced traditional Israel. Similarly, uh, two-house theology teaches that Christians cease being Gentiles and instead supposedly become Israelites when they come to faith in Yeshua. We've heard of this error as well, two-house theology that teaches uh, that everyone in Christ is somehow a, uh, a physical Israelite. Um, I think this, I, I'm pretty sure that this thinking is also wrong-headed. Uh, not that everything in two-house theology is, is, is error. Uh, there, there's some foundational truth that, that we could really glean from that, but, but for the most part, uh, two-house theology veers off in the wrong direction as well. And so I, I don't recommend you follow down that path. Basically, I say it this way. 
we one law proponents advocate that Gentile Christians, right, those who are not, uh, who don't have uh, physical clanship to the tribes of Jacob, the sons of Jacob, etc. In other words, they don't identify as physical Jews. Uh, we purport, uh, we advocate that Gentile Christians actually get grafted into and become fellow heirs with the remnant of faithful Israel. That's how we see it. Um, and as such, they get called the one new man by Paul in Ephesians. The one new man is made up of Jews and Gentiles. This is the church, I believe, that this is the church faithful. This is the, what, what Christians call the church triumphant. This is the mystery of the gospel hidden down through the ages. I got the word mystery there in quotes. Because it's, that's how Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 6, where he talks about the mystery of the gospel. And since one Torah now closely associates the church with remnant Israel in one body, as opposed to picturing the church as distinct from Israel, like historic Christianity has, right? Many Christians accuse one Torah advocates of supporting some type of replacement theology because of our association with, with um, uh, the church and remnant Israel together. Uh, that's why we get accused, we, we one law um, uh, advocates get accused of this replacement theology when in fact it's 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 not really an accurate um it's not really an accurate accusation let's keep reading when our detractors hear us say that the church is identified as part of remnant israel to them right all they hear is uh Christians replacing Jews. That's what it smacks of. It smacks of Christians replacing Jews when we tell, tell people that Jews and Gentiles should be keeping Torah side by side. But in point of fact, when it comes to Israel's inheritance from Hashem, we Christians are partakers. We're not overtakers. Right? We're partakers. We're not overtakers. All right. And I think what I'll do is the last... A uh, question that Caleb posed to me that night was: uh, Is the divinely the divine invitation question? Those of you who are familiar uh, with messianic circles know that divine invitation is a view that's um, being uh, it's been popularized by, say, First Fruits of Zion and some of the teachings that they produce. And it's, I, I in my opinion, it's an unfortunate. Um, circumstance that this particular body of teachings has become so popular among Jews and Gentiles and Messiah. I say unfortunate because I think that the, the folks over at FFOZ are some of the finest messianics that I've ever met. And so I have nothing but high marks, high regards for uh, Boaz Michael and for uh, Toby Janicki and uh, some of the other teachers there. Um, uh, um, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, he wrote the uh, 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 the uh, mystery of the gospel, um, Lancaster, Daniel Lancaster, D. Thomas Lancaster. Great teachers, excellent teachings, but I just can't agree with this idea of divine invitation. So I'm going to leave you with a cliffhanger tonight. I'm not going to jump into that particular question just yet. Uh, we'll leave off here tonight with that question. I'll I'll tackle that next week so that we can get a proper uh, a proper uh, treatment of it. Instead. Let me scroll back up into the commentary real quick. I'm going to treat my uh, readers, or those who are in the, the, the class tonight, I'm going to treat you to the uh, One Tour Revolution video uh, that I recorded for Caleb. I'll just let you hear the um, let you hear the intro one. So those of you who are in my uh, class with me, live class with me tonight for this last five minutes, let me just play uh, the video from um, that I recorded. I'll play just the first the intro part. So if you're looking at my screen, I've got Caleb's One Tour Revolution webpage pulled up, which for those of you who aren't with me in the live class, you can go to Caleb's site at onetorahrevolution.com. O-N-E-T-O-R-A-H-R-E-V-O-L-U-T-I-O-N.com. And from the homepage, you can click on the menu bar in the upper right corner and click on videos. And that'll bring you to uh, the YouTube videos that we recorded. And let's just open up the one Oops, let's see, did we want to make it full screen? Let's see if that'll work for us.
I think Exodus twelve forty nine uh, is probably a good place to start. In Hebrew, it says, "Torah echad yile yile la Ezrach vla gerer hagar betocha." And this phrase, Torah echad, is where we probably get the word "one law." One law should be to him that's homeborn, and unto the stranger that's children among you. My definition of one law, uh, obviously, like borrows its name from this or one of the other two passages that are found in the Torah proper, where native-born sons of Jacob and sojourners are being addressed together in covenant responsibility together. Practically speaking, one Torah or one law believes that Hashem historically gave one covenant document to follow as a way of life for anyone wishing to identify as covenant. Israel. Naturally, this would also include the faithful remnant of Israel, whom we believe to be Jews, as well as those from the nations who've been grafted into remnant Israel. So, instead of purporting that the New Testament is for Gentile Christians and that the Torah was or is for Jews only, one law commits both Jews and Gentiles in Messiah Yeshua as children of faithful Abraham to follow after the Torah of Moshe while retaining. Our distinctive ethnicities as Jews and Gentiles together in the body of Messiah, and so I'm going to speak more on the, our commitment than my answer to question about divine invitation below. But that's just my short definition of one law: Torah Achat, one law straight from Hebrew. All right. Thank you for uh, letting me play that for you. Um, I highly recommend going to Caleb Hegg's. Uh, website there because you're not only going to find the rest of my interview, but you're also going to find uh, videos that were recorded by R.L. Berkowitz. Um, you're going to find ones that were recorded by Caleb himself. And there's a lot of uh, nice teaching there uh, on their blog, uh, Get Schooled, some in other information. I think Tim Higgs done some contributions there as well. So it's it's a nice website. So head on out there if you get a chance. Well, let me go ahead and close in prayer for tonight. I thank everyone for joining me. I uh, hope we can meet again next week where we'll finish uh, the study in the book of Galatians. Uh, I think we'll finish actually not my commentary, but we'll finish this section in uh, section 10, the, the uh, trust and obey. And then, and then we're finally, finally, after what, a few months, ready to turn into the, uh, the, the commentary proper and start dealing with the verse-by-verse uh, -verse exposition of the book of Galatians, okay? Let's close in prayer. Avino Makeno, our Father, our King, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to share with the students, to engage in Torah study, to uh, remind ourselves of the words of the Master so that we can be faithful, so that we can be uh, diligent to seek after your face. We know, Lord, that you have given us the words of life, that you are, are equipping us, that you are calling us out of darkness, that you are bringing us into your kingdom. We thank you, Lord, that you have uh, given us the armor of Ephesians chapter 6. And we know that as we wear the armor, that we can take a stand against the evil one, that we can take a stand against the wickedness of this evil age. We thank you, Lord, that you have uh, filled us with your spirit and that you're causing us to walk into your ways. And this is in accord with uh, the promises given to us in Ezekiel chapter 36 and Jeremiah chapter 31. We know that we have been brought into the new covenant by your spirit and by your power. Thank you for this awesome responsibility as Jews and Gentiles in Messiah, declaring the name of Jesus as Lord and declaring that there is one law. There is one law for Jews and Gentiles. Thank you, Father, for uh, the students. Continue to bless them. Um, take them along this week, uh, renewed, refreshed, and healed. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory and all of these things, Bishem Yeshua. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. 
To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com.